All right, fantastic. Now I'm going to turn your attention to the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 7 this morning. The scripture will be on your screens. If you brought your Bible bonus points, I'm going to read it out loud, however you want to follow along. Um, Hear these words from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 7, starting at verse 25. It says this, At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him, and they said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go out uh, where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Someone wanted to seize him but no one laid a hand on him. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, we, add, we pray that you would add a blessing to your word now. I just pray that you get me out of the way, Lord, so that you can speak. Lord, open uh, the hearts of all those who listen to your word this morning. Lord, may their hearts be soft 
and ready to receive all that you would want to give them. Um, We pray uh, you be with us as a church to lead and to guide now. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as Dave mentioned, I just want to give you a little bit of teaching around the background of what's going on in John chapter 7, because the more we know about what's happening at this festival of the tabernacle, the more meaningful what Jesus is saying is going to be for us. So I just want you to hear about the background, and I promise you that it will give you more insight as to why Jesus is saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing. So the Festival of the Tabernacle is one of uh, many festivals that is articulated uh, for the people of God in Leviticus chapter 23. There's all kinds of festivals, and there's, there's ones that take place in the spring, and there's others that take place in the fall. The spring feasts are the Passover, which kicks off the new year, the Jewish New Year, and then there's uh, others, the Festival of the Unleavened Bread, the Festival of the First Fruits, and then Pentecost. Um, and then the fall feasts are the Festival of the Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then finally the Festival of the Tabernacle. And the Festival of the Tabernacle was the last of the fall feasts, and it had a particular theme that the people would focus on in this, uh, this time of teaching, these eight days, where they would gather together and rabbis would teach. And the theme was on the providence of God. It was on water. It was a pray, prayer and a teaching for rain. And we don't live in an agricultural society, but you could imagine that rain was life, right, for these people that if they had rain, then they would have crops and food, and there would be no famine. If they didn't have rain, then there was big trouble, right? People could potentially die if there was no rain. And so they would gather together, and they would pray and thank God for the providence of the last year. And then they would also ask God for his providence to care for them in the coming year that God would provide the food, the rain for the food. And if you noticed in our, uh, essentially the climactic story here in the middle of the Gospel of John, there is a lot of tension. Jesus' voice is raising. It's getting higher and louder. And essentially uh, this, this, moment uh, that Jesus is in, in our gospel text today, is like a, like a crescendo at the festival of the tabernacles. And the thing that's going on in the background that helps us to understand why Jesus is crying out in a loud voice is if you know a, a little bit about what happens at the Festival of the Tabernacles, is that on the last day of the Festival of the Tabernacles, the great finale, the last ritual that was done, was that the high priest would take two uh, jars that were full. One was full of water, and the other was full of wine. And he would pour them out onto the altar. And as he was pouring them out onto the altar, the crowd would chant together 
and they would chant something that's familiar to us. They would chant, Hosanna, 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 as the high priest poured these two pitchers out and mixed them together over the altar. And so, on the last day, as this great grand finale ritual was taking place, Jesus rushes to the front. And Hosanna means God save us. You know that, that, that what this is is to say in this context, God save us, God provide the rain. And then there Jesus is, and he's crying out in a loud voice. And you remember what he says. He says, if you are thirsty, come to me. And he's taking their literal thirst, and he's making it about their spiritual thirst. He's redirecting how they're thinking about this great ritual in this time. And even more so, the meaning of this is drawn out as we move to the end of Jesus' life and we look at the crucifixion. Because why is it, uh, for those of you who are astute, you already know this, that there's, there's water and then there's wine. Why is it that there's water and there's wine that's being poured out onto the altar? Well, if we go to the crucifixion scene, you may remember in John 19:24 it describes after Jesus' death what happens to him in the Gospel of John. It says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Blood and water. And so what was taking place in this great ritual is something that is fully embodied in Jesus on the cross. He's saying, I am the full embodiment of what is happening here is now, now being produced for all people. The very source of all of life is indicated in this moment that John is trying to show us. But what, what is it about, about blood and water that, that can teach us something about who Jesus is. Because remember, that's what John really wants to do, is teach us more about Jesus. Help us to understand who Jesus really was. And to help me do that, I just need to talk about paradox for one second. You know, paradox is when two things that seem like they should be juxtaposed or different um, actually go together. We saw an interesting paradox as we went off to Catalina. Maybe you know this one. It's kind of a paradox, right? As we were going on the boat off to Catalina, uh, me and some of the boys were looking out at the window, and we just saw this flying thing that came out of the water. And it was flying along with the boat. It was kind of like flying along, and then it'd go back into the water, and we saw another one come out and fly along the boat and go back in the water. It was a flying fish. Right? And it was kind of like mind-blowing that there's a fish that could fly. Like that's not really what you think about when you think about fish. You think they, they're supposed to be swimming in the water, right? But, but this idea of paradox, how does, the, the way we could say it, how does the great sorrow of the blood of Jesus Christ, representing the death of Jesus Christ, this wine that represents the Jesus of Christ, Jesus Christ, go with 
the water, the springs of new life, the things in life, that, the, the thing that brings life to all of life at the very source. How do these things go together? How are these things that are flowing from Jesus' side out into the world, how do they teach us about how he's the saving one? Well, to help me to illustrate the point, an iconic story about Beethoven. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. Uh, when he was a young man, he fell in love with Enlightenment thinking and particularly uh, the poetry of a guy named Francis Schiller who wrote a poem called Ode to Joy. Ode to Joy. We've sung a, a version of this here at the church. But as he neared the end of his life, he had yet to set Ode to Joy to music. And actually, uh, before he uh, came to the end of his life, before he wrote his last symphony, you may know that he started to lose his hearing. In fact, he almost became completely deaf, and there was a 12-year period between his second-to-last symphony and his last symphony, and, and in that time, Napoleon was attacking Vienna, which was putting his uh, whole culture at risk, and also he had endured many personal losses in this 12 years, and he sunk into a deep, dark depression for uh, that time period. But he still never gave up hope that he would be able to bring music to Ode to Joy. And so the day came with a couple of terrible rehearsals and uh, there were so many new and innovative things in Ode to Joy that it was like high anxiety as the ninth and final symphony that, Dave, uh, that Beethoven was performing for the audience in Vienna was to come to fruition. And Beethoven stood up and he got in front of his orchestra and the orchestra uh, described later that, that he was doing erratic, emph emphatic motions that most conductors would never do out of great passion, but also out of the sense that he was hearing the music more in his head. And this became most true when he finished. And the silence gave way to one of the loudest applause that has ever been heard in Vienna. And people began to throw their hats and their scarves because they knew that Beethoven could no longer hear. But as he uh, finished, as the orchestra finished, he continued to conduct. He couldn't hear the great applause he couldn't see the scarves and the hats in the air until one of his violinists took his hand and turned him around and showed him what was taking place. And so many music theorists describe how what's so beautiful about Ode to Joy is that even though it's a testament to joy, it's tinged with Beethoven's sorrow. Those two things belong together. I can think of a moment as a church that we shared that was kind of like this, as we stood outside uh, in the parking lot under tents and we sang Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah in a time of great trial, in a time of great sorrow, in a time where things were very sad, 
and difficult. And yet we sang hallelujah because we acknowledged that the blood and the water go together. Sometimes we think we can't come to church because it's always got to be about happiness and lightness. And sometimes we think that we can't be happy because there's so much sorrow in the world, so much pain and grief in the world. And yet what Jesus teaches us is that flowing from the fountainhead of all of life is how these things together, they belong together. Death and life flow together. Later on, Henry Van Dyke took Beethoven's Ode to Joy and put some Christian words to the song. And I love these lyrics. I just think they speak so beautifully to this idea. Joyful, joyful, we adore, adore you. God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Uh, just two images that I want to use because Jesus says in this, uh, this part of the scripture that, that he's really speaking out of tradition. He's saying, as the scriptures say, streams of living water will run from you. And there's no direct quote actually like this in the Old Testament, but there is all kinds of images in the Old Testament that speak to this reality. And one of them is from Ezekiel. And I think we have a picture up here. If you remember, in, in the Gospel of Ezekiel, I mean, excuse me, in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, he's, he's called out as a prophet to look over a valley of dry bones, right? Nothing could be more dry than a valley of dry bones. But then he's told to prophesy over the valley of dry bones and, and as he's prophesying, then, then life is brought back to this, this, this dryness. It's reanimated. And the breath, as he, as he breathes, the, the four winds, it says, uh, uh, come upon this valley of dry bones, and, and they're resurrected to, back to life. Then right after that, this is a lesser-known passage, that, that he has an image of the temple But this temple is different because there's streams of living water flowing from the altar of the temple. And then God uh, tells him to go with an unknown man and stand in the stream. And as he's standing in the stream, the stream gets deeper and deeper and deeper until he's fully submerged. And the story uh, and the teaching is that wherever this stream may flow, there is abundant life wherever it may go. In the, psalm, uh, in the Psalms, in the, the psalmist writes this as an acknowledgement of this truth as well. It says, all the dancers and singers in Psalm 87.7, as they make their music, they will sing, all of my fountains are in you. All of my fountains are in you. One of the things about following Jesus is that we may not know all of the answers all of the time, but the joy, 
of knowing Jesus is we know the source. We know the very source, the very fountainhead of all of life. And that's what Jesus is so adamant about at this festival. He just wants everybody there and everyone here to see that he is the source of all of life. And such an encouragement to the believer. And Paul actually gives this encouragement to Timothy. He just says, My child, find your source of strength in the kindness of Jesus Christ. So maybe today you came and you felt dry. Maybe you felt like um, you just didn't have any life or vitality or any energy in your faith. My prayer is that you simply go back to the source. Trace it all the way back to the source. That very place where God can give us his true encouragement through the life of Jesus Christ, where he died so that all of life may be saved. With that in mind, just one last image is that that Jesus says that this very stream can flow through the church. And so we might imagine that we, as we go from this place, are like, like streams that are all over, right? Smaller streams, but then as we come to this place, this is a place of convergence, like in this picture where the streams all come together to make this great rushing, roaring river of life. That's the image of the church that Jesus is providing for us in this passage. So may it be true. May it be true over us as we receive uh, this great teaching that if we're willing to draw near to Jesus, that he will draw near to us and we will know what life is about, true life, the springs of life uh, that belong to him in every possible way. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you return us uh, to uh, the realization that all of our fountains are in you and you alone that you are the source of our life and that you can encourage us today no matter where we're at, no matter how dry we feel, Lord, that we, we know because of, uh, because of your sacrifice, Lord, because the, the water and the blood flow from Mount Calvary, Lord, that we are able to live and to have life. I pray an encouragement today over our church. Precious and holy name we pray. Amen.